Do you own or rent your home? Sure you do. And I bet it can be hard work, but you know, what's easy bundling policies with Geico. Geico makes it easy to bundle your homeowners or renters insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing too, because you already have so much to do around your home. Go to Geico.com, get a quote and see how much you could save. It's Geico easy. Visit Geico.com today. That's Geico.com. Hey, this is your Olympic hero, Kurt Angle. Drop the chips, make physically fit protein snacks part of your daily gold medal routine. They're high in protein, made from 100% all-natural real chicken meat and organic plant protein. Air-baked, low in net carbs, and taste insanely delicious. Grab a bag today and enjoy curbing your hunger with a crispy crunch and intelligent real food protein snack. Now you and your family can reach the gold with Physically Fit. Now available in 11 great flavors. Visit physicallyfit.com. Oh, it's true. It's damn true. I've been everywhere, man. I've been everywhere. Hey, SaveWithConrad.com has been saving people money everywhere all across the map. Justin up in Kernersville, North Carolina, left us a five-star review, and he said, Jimmy and Jennifer were amazing. The process was very clearly communicated, and I knew the status of my loan every step of the way. I was able to cut a point and a half from my interest rate and save $180 a month. It was an extremely smooth transaction and completely stress-free. Kudos to you guys. Now, kudos to you, Justin, for hearing our commercials here on the podcast and deciding, you know what? This is worth a shot. It's no cost. It's no obligation. I don't need perfect credit. And if they can't save me money, they won't waste my time. So what am I waiting for? Justin did it, and he's saving 180 bucks a month. How much money can you save? Find out right now for free at SaveWithConrad.com. And oh yeah, we're licensed in more than 40 states. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender, savewithconrad.com. Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to the Kurt Angle Show. And of course, we couldn't do it without your Hall of Famer, your Olympic hero, Mr. Kurt Angle. Kurt, how are you, man? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you, Conrad. Well, I am excited to be here today. This is uh, what won our poll. We, we put a poll up a while back on Twitter, and we would encourage all of you to follow us on Twitter if you haven't already. We're going to do more of these polls, but we do have quite a year mapped out already. Uh, but it's at the Angle Pod on Twitter, is where you can find us. Uh, we've got plenty of WrestleMania stuff coming your way. Uh, the week before WrestleMania, we're going to talk about WrestleMania 22 and then the day of WrestleMania this year, that Sunday, we'll talk about WrestleMania X seven. A lot of people think WrestleMania 17 is the best WrestleMania ever. So we'll get into that in long form, but today and next week, actually, it's all about Kurt's rookie year. And I've often said on, on my different podcast, Kurt, that I think you've probably had the best rookie year of anyone ever in professional wrestling. You've probably heard that a lot over the years though, huh? Yes. I think a lot of the 
you know, wrestlers and everything, everybody involved in the business thought I had the best rookie year of all time. I really don't know because, you know, I didn't watch wrestling before I started. Right. So I, I wouldn't know what other wrestlers rookie years look like, but I had a pretty damn good year. <laughs> and it's so great that we're going to break it down across two episodes. When we put this po- topic on a poll, it won pretty handily. Uh, and, and there's a lot of fans who are interested in that story. And so we've talked a little bit about your transition from the Olympics and then coming into the company, but now we're going to talk about how you go from opening shows to main eventing against the rock and the undertaker all in the same calendar year. Um, if you haven't already, I do recommend you check out our second episode of the podcast where we cover that Olympic run, uh, or the transition rather, uh, from the Olympics into wrestling, but Let's start at the beginning here. We start to see promo packages for your appearance on WWE TV. And this was sort of an old school Bruce Pritchard way of introducing a new character, a series of vignettes. And the announcer would say, Kurt Angle, the only celebrated real athlete in the history of the WWF. And I think, uh, when you were on with Steve Austin on his broken skull sessions on the WWE network, you thought maybe those were a little cheesy. Uh, but, uh, ultimately Vince got his way. What do you remember about those vignettes? Well, Vincent, you know, he came to me and said, listen, we're going to do vignettes to start you out. Uh, They're going to be a bit corny. Uh, You're going to be uh, Olympic gold medalist, milk drinker. Don't swear. Don't, you know, don't do drugs. Uh, You know, talk about the three eyes, preach to the people. And he said that at this particular time in the attitude era, the bad guys were the good guys and the good guys are the bad guys. So he said, if we keep you clean as a whistle, people are going to hate your guts. And (laughs) I was like, how is that possible? I mean, if I'm doing all the right things in life, he said, well, people get envious and they, and, and not only that, he wanted people to say this guy, you know, he makes sense, but I don't really trust him. Uh, I, I don't know what this guy's all about. So there's something about him that's weird. And, uh, you know, the thing is I preached about, you know, winning gold medals and championships, and then I would turn around and cheat to win. So, it right. was, you know, I understood the, the, you know, the, uh, equation that Vince was trying to do, you know, it, it is sort of an old storytelling way that, that really probably developed a lot in the seventies and eighties where, you know, you would have these movies where you're sort of pulling for the underdog. And they hate the star quarterback who has the hot girlfriend and the prom queen and all that. And so you were sort of the epitome of that. And let's also remember, you know, when you don't swear and you're a milk drinker, and then you've got the top character in the business at the time, flipping people off and, you know, (laughs) chugging beer. beer. Yeah. It's a totally different up his boss. Yeah. (laughs) Way, way different presentation. Uh, the very first show though, the debut in front of the camera happens at survivor series, 99 a sold out show from the Joe Lewis arena in Detroit. And, uh, the second match of the night, here comes Sean, Sean Stasiak. Uh, tell us a little bit about your first match here. Dave Meltzer gave it a star and a half in the observer. Uh, but he he would write angle looked impressive. And this was the best Stasiak had looked since coming into the company. Not that anyone actually picked up on it. And of course you get the win. Were you excited, nervous, anxious? Take me through your first night in front of a big crowd like this at the survivor series. 
I was nervous as hell. I, you know, I never did it before. This is my first time, my debut. And, you know, I was wrestling Sean, which I was familiar with Sean because I started training with Sean. So we had a few matches, dark matches and stuff that we have uh, done before. But uh, this was, you know, this was very scary because this was my debut and I was more concerned about getting everything right. And the crazy thing is, you know, during the match in the middle of it, uh, the fans were chanting boring. Right. And, and the referee comes to me and says, uh, Sean has me in a rest hold, a, a choke hold. And he says, listen, Vince wants you to beat up Sean, go outside the ring, grab the microphone and say, you do not chant boring to an Olympic gold medalist. I came here for you. And I was like, holy shit. Uh, <laughs> I never did this before. I, you know, this, uh, nobody warned me ahead of time. So this was uh, improvisation by Vince. And, uh, you know, I, I paused for a second and the ref said, listen, you got to do it. I said, what does he want me to do again? <laughs> and he had to repeat it again. And I went out and I did it. And the fans reacted. They cheered boring even louder. So we, we got the reaction we wanted. I mean, about the match, the match was good it wasn't great it was you know i think about six or seven minutes so it wasn't a lot of time you know we we didn't have a lot of time on the card but uh i thought the match was very smooth and that it was it was decent how did you enjoy working with sean uh, he's a guy who's been rather polarizing in the locker room over the years but you had a good rapport with him I had a great rapport with Sean. He, you know, him and I were friends. Uh, he was an amateur wrestler. Mm. Uh, his dad had a great history of pro wrestling. And yep. Sean, Sean was the next upcoming promising talent. I think the issue with Sean is he was really unsure of himself. I he, see. he didn't, he lacked some confidence. And I, that was the only downfall to Sean. Well, what was your confidence like after that first match? Were you happy with the showing? You come back through the curtain, you see Vince. Is it all smiles? People were happy. You, you felt good. Yes, I was more relieved than I was happy. I was glad I finished it and I did everything that I set out to do, even the stuff that Vince wanted me to say. Or for, for pro wrestling, for WWE, I didn't learn any kind of promo skills. Right. I think I did one promo down in uh, um, Power Pro Wrestling in Memphis, and that was about it. So I didn't really have any skills with that. And I didn't know how I was going to do. I figured WWE was just going to utilize me as a, the main event show on the weekends and have me wrestle. I, I didn't know they had these sort of plans for me mm -hmm. and that uh, Vince wanted to elevate me to the moon. This episode is sponsored by blue chew. Say it with us. Blue Chew. Blue Chew is making waves and bringing more confidence to the bedroom by offering chewable tablets that can help men get stronger and longer lasting erections. Blue Chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, but in chewable form and at a fraction of the cost. Blue Chew's tablets help men achieve harder, stronger erections to combat all forms of ED, erectile dysfunction. Blue Chew is an online prescription service, so no visits to the doctor's office, no awkward conversations, and no waiting in line at the pharmacy. And it ships right to your door in a discreet package. The process is simple. Sign up at BlueChew.com, consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you're approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. The best part? It's all done online. Blue Chew's licensed medical providers work with you to find the right ingredient and strength for your prescription. Don't like swallowing pills? 
no problem here. Blue Chew's Sildenafil and Tadalafil tablets are chewable. Blue Chew's tablets are made in the USA and they prepare and ship direct, so it's cheaper than a pharmacy. So if you could benefit from extra confidence when it's time to perform, visit bluechew.com for more details and important safety information. And here's a special deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew free when you use our promo code ANGLE at checkout. Just pay $5 shipping. That's bluechew.com, promo code ANGLE to receive your first month free. And we thank Blue Chew for sponsoring the podcast. Oh, it's true. It's damn true. Well, that starts the very next night. Uh, it's really nice, you know, planning strategically, I guess, if you're looking at the logistics of where should we debut Kurt, because the very next night is raw as war in your hometown of Pittsburgh, but this is quite the interesting pairing. Now we have this Olympic gold medalist, our, our American hero, and you're taking on the Godfather who offers you a deal. He wants to, uh, see if you are interested in the hose. <laughs> yes. Yes. He wanted me to take one of his hoes as a piece <laughs> offering. <laughs> uh, you know, obviously I rejected and uh I beat the Godfather. It was a very brief match, as I remember. But the crazy thing about Pittsburgh is Vince wanted me to precondition the crowd before we started raw. Mm. So he had me go out and cut a promo to turn on the fans a little bit. And because I was in my hometown. Right. And I remember Vince telling me, he said, listen, this is what you're going to say. I said, you're not going to write it down. He said, no, you're going to memorize this. I'm going to tell you once. And he told me, and he kept talking for five minutes. <laughs> and, and, and my mind wasn't thinking about what he was saying. I was like, holy shit, this is long. <laughs> like, this is a, a lot of information to take in. So when he got done, I said, Vince, I'm sorry. I didn't hear a word you said. You're going to have to repeat it. And he said, oh, gosh, all right, let me, I'm going to tell you one more time, and you're going to do it. So he told me one more time, and then I had to go out and do it uh, without any script. Wow. So I remember probably 75% of it. It was good enough that Vince was like, okay, this guy is able to ingest some stuff that I tell him, and he's able to remember it, so let's, let's move forward with him. So it wasn't a great promo, but it was good enough. You win after a fan interferes in the match with a sign and distracts the Godfather and you use the move we now know as the angle slam, but the announcers didn't even know what to call it here. And they referred to it as a reverse fireman's carry. When do you remember there being discussion about what we're going to call this and, and how all that came to be? Oh, right after that, <laughs> the announcers came to me and said, what are you going to call it? And I said, I don't know. I, you know, I came up with a move in practice one day and just thought, you know, uh, I could call it the angle slam. They said, well, what about the Olympic slam? Because you're an Olympic gold medalist. I said, that's even better. Yeah. So we started using that, but the Olympic committee uh, contacted the WWE and said, you can't use the word Olympic for a, a wrestling move or a finish move. Uh, so we had to take the Olympic slam off the table and call it the angle slam. So it, it got named the angle slam briefly after that. Crazy thing is, when the Olympic Committee warned us, 
The next week, Michael Cole wanted to piss off the Olympic <laughs> committee. So he kept calling it the Olympic slam all through my match. He was saying, Angu's going to hit the Olympic slam eventually. And he just kept repeating it like 10 times just to piss them off. It's funny. I'm not sure how Vince reacted to it, but it was pretty funny. A few days later, you're on SmackDown. You're taking on Gangrel. So let's put this in the context, folks. His first match on TV is against a pimp. The second one is against a vampire. This is a little different than amateur wrestling, huh? A lot different. There were a <laughs> lot of characters back in WWE in the attitude era, a lot of different characters, very interesting characters. So, uh, it was relatively new for me and it was great, uh, content that I could do promos on, you know, you'd rather uh, cheer a vampire than an Olympic gold medalist. And the fans would. <laughs> You know, cheer the vampire, you know, Gangrel. Uh, same with uh, the Godfather. You know, you'd rather cheer a pimp than an Olympic gold medalist, and they would cheer the pimp. Uh, they they love the bad guys. The Attitude Era was very different. Uh, let's talk about, uh, I guess, the next natural thing is to put you in there with another former Olympian, Mr. Mark Henry. Uh, that happens on November 22nd, 1999 on Monday Night Raw. And you do a promo where you say, there's some of us who didn't quite pull through for the good old USA. I won't mention any names. And you accuse Mark of staying out all night at a strip club and the crowd pops for that. They think that's cool. And that of course, pisses you off. And you remind everyone Mark placed 18th. Uh, I mean, you're really laying it in here. How much of this was fun to do? And how much of this do you think was the office just needling Mark at the time? I don't know how much of it was the office needling Mark, but I'm sure they were, um, you know, but it, it was, it was funny. I, it, Mark, the only reason he placed 18th in the Olympics, he got hurt and he, he lifted just enough. Uh, so the team could place. Yes. So he, he didn't win a medal, even though he was expected to, I think he was ranked third in the world at the time, but you know, he, he didn't pan out because he got injured. So you know, I didn't mention that in my problem. Of course not. <laughs> of course I wouldn't. I'm Kurt Angle, <laughs> the only celebrated real athlete in WWE history. <laughs> I know a lot of people aren't going to go back and watch that match, but if you want to see an impressive feat of strength, go back and check out Kurt wins with a Northern light suplex. That's pretty unbelievable. Was there any hesitation that you could pull that off on a guy Mark size or did you, I mean, were you pretty confident about that? Of course, I was nervous as hell, but sure. Mark Mark jumped for me really well. He he he's a great athlete. He's so explosive, and you know when you need to lift him, he he gets very light for you. So it's not a problem. Today we're welcoming a new sponsor to the show, IP Vanish VPN. Here's a little bit about IP Vanish VPN. If you care about the security of your online activity, IP Vanish VPN is a quick and easy way to start protecting yourself. Rated 4.7 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot, IPVanish provides an encrypted connection for all of your internet traffic, helping to prevent websites, Wi-Fi providers, and even hackers from intercepting your data. Help keep your financial details, personal information, and online activity safe from threats with IPVanish. Get started with this limited-time offer and save 50% off monthly and annual subscriptions Visit ipvanish.com forward slash angle. That's ipvanish.com forward slash angle. And we thank ipvanish VPN for sponsoring the Kurt Angle Show. And welcome aboard, guys. It's true. It's damn true. You're protected with ipvanish.com forward slash angle.
Uh, on SmackDown later that week, we see the beginning of your very first feud of sorts that week. You team with Steve Blackman and you say it's a bit of an insult to pair an Olympic gold medalist with a black belt, but you're willing to give him a chance. Uh, and that's, what's great about you. Uh, the, uh, the willingness to help the, the lesser folks have a chance. Uh, Blackman <laughs> comes out. He's not happy. I guess that's really nothing new. You offer to shake his hand, but he refuses. You wind up winning the match and celebrating. And he's looking at you almost like, what the hell are you doing? I, I love the oversell of the celebration. Is that Vince's directive or is this just something you're trying? No, Vince wanted me to celebrate. Like I won the Olympic gold medal. He said, I want you to do exactly what you did in the Olympics. I want you to drop to your knees, raise your hands in the air and start crying, huh. celebrate it. Like you just won the Olympics. Every time you win, I want you to do that. So I was doing it and it was creating a lot of heat. Uh, unfortunately on the December 9th episode of SmackDown, you and Blackman are defeated by the Dudley boys. This is technically your first on-screen defeat, but you don't take the pin. Blackman does. And that sets up your second pay-per-view match. It's you versus Blackman at Armageddon 99. That one went down on December 12th in Fort Lauderdale. Again, another sellout. You're in the second match on the show that night and Meltzer would write angle came out to no reaction. He even missed a moonsault. Uh, technically this was a good match, but the crowd chanted boring, whether it, w- it was because, or because they were encouraged by angles gimmick or they didn't want to see the match was apparent. Uh, angle won with a German suplex. And after the match, Blackman attacked angle with nunchucks. And for some reason, Blackman got a big pop for that three quarters of a star. Were you wondering at this time, Hey man, do I really want to encourage the fans to chant boring? Were you taking that personally? Or did you think, oh man, they're just doing their role in the show here. I, I just knew they were doing their role in the yeah. show and, and, and whether they accepted me or not, if they were rejecting me. I really didn't know because I was so new to the business. I was just doing what I was told. And every week I would focus on what I had to do and what I had to accomplish. And I wasn't worried about the reaction of the fans. I knew in time, eventually I would get real serious heat or I would get over as a baby face eventually. But uh, I knew it would take some time. The fans had to get to know me. They knew I won a gold medal in the Olympics, but they didn't know me in the pro wrestling world. So it it took a few months for fans to start accepting me. And at this point in time, they weren't accepting me. The December 16th edition of SmackDown sees you facing test. Uh, Test comes out to the my time theme. Stephanie McMahon Helmsley's coming out. This is significant because this is the first time your characters have interacted. You get the jump on test, hit him with a German suplex. Stephanie's on commentary. And there's a moment when test hits a power bomb and Stephanie says something like get your cute self out of this. And, uh, Stephanie has a test disqualified for using a closed fist and you celebrate more than probably anyone ever has for a disqualification (laughs) win hitting your knees. Pretty hilarious. Did did you know uh, right here in this moment, Hey, they're going to do something with me and Stephanie, or were they just sort of trying things to see how the fans reacted? I think they were trying things. I don't think they had any plans for Stephanie and I to get together yet quite yet. I think, uh, down the road, a couple more months is when they really decided to seriously get into that angle. But at that point in time, I don't think they had any plans. I think they were just putting feelers out on December 23rd. SmackDown is in Texas and you cut a promo telling the people in Texas that they're known for their intensity and their integrity, but maybe not so much their intelligence, but if they work hard, they could be, I love this use of the three eyes and and healing on the crowd here. 
It's your first TV match against edge here. You win after Blackman hits edge with a kendo stick. Uh, but basically the story here is between the next event and sometime after it, you're undefeated. No one has yet pinned you or made you submit. Did you know this was the plan at this point, or are you just figuring it out when everybody else is? No, I think the writers plan for me to have an undefeated streak, um, especially, uh, working up to the Royal rumble, 2000 pay-per-view. So they, uh, they wanted to continue to have me go on an undefeated streak until I got to, uh, Madison square garden, 2000 Royal rumble, where I wrestled Taz. That was a different story. <laughs> That's something that, um, I don't, I don't know if you wanted to talk about this yeah. right now, Conrad. Um, well, Taz, we decided that, uh, you know, Taz would go over. Uh, it was his debut. Taz was a big name in wrestling. So yep. he was one of those guys that, uh, you know, hit, uh, hit main event level. Like as far as any wrestling company, Taz was really popular. Yeah. He had a great run in ECW and everybody knew who he was. Mm-hmm. So, it, you know, it, it was me, uh, giving him a, a, a rub, uh, an elevation uh, win. And uh, at the same time, it's me getting a rub from somebody that was a main eventer in a, in a wrestling company that was very successful. So, you know, the, the whole story was Taz would make me choke out. He would choke me out, but it was an illegal choke, so I was still undefeated. That's what I said in my own mind after the match. And, you know, when Taz made me choke out, I said, um, you know, this, this is a legal chokehold. So I'm still undefeated. Uh, I still haven't been beaten. I love it. And the story well, of his was good heat, it can be a little frustrating, especially if you're in a hurry or running late to find yourself at a railway crossing, waiting for a train. And if the signals are going and the train's not even there yet, you may feel a bit tempted to try and sneak across the tracks. Well, don't ever to the naked eye trains often appear to be further away and moving slower than they are, and they can't stop quickly. And even if the engineer hits the emergency brakes right away, it can take a train over a mile to stop. Over a mile to stop. By that time, it's too late, and the result is a potential deadly crash. The point is, you can't know how quickly the train will arrive. The train can't stop quickly, and even if it sees you, it ends in disaster. If the signals are on, the train is on its way. And you just need to remember one thing. Stop. Trains can't. Paid for by NHTSA. Let's talk about a moment in the match that's become fairly controversial. Again, we're talking about Taz's debut at the Royal Rumble 2000, January 23rd, Madison Square Garden. Uh, A huge show. Uh, And Taz is the mystery opponent for you. And there's supposedly a moment that was pretty scary. Uh, Meltzer would even write, Angle took a... um, Angle took a great backdrop over the top rope and one time landed almost on his head from a suplex. I only mention this because supposedly the rumor and innuendo is a lot of the folks in the office, uh, were, were pretty concerned about that suplex and wanted to have a sit down with Taz allegedly the next day at TV about that suplex. I think Taz is on record as saying he didn't want guys to sort of cooperate or jump sort of like you mentioned a moment ago with. Mark Henry and doing the, uh, Northern lights, he wanted to actually muscle you up himself. And he felt like maybe you jumped and he didn't communicate that maybe. And it was a little bit scary, but no one was hurt. No one was injured in the match, but supposedly 
A lot of people felt like, Hey, this guy Taz might be dangerous from an office standpoint. And Taz took great issue with that. It's a sore spot with him to this day. What do you remember about that suplex? And did you consider Taz dangerous on the other side of the match? Taz was not dangerous. Good. That was my idea. I, I told Taz to give me a German suplex and throw me really high in the air. And I would flip over to my stomach. I wanted to do a, uh, a moonsault German suplex where I landed go. on my stomach. I thought it looked really vicious and brutal. So that, that was all my call. And I'm not sure why they, why Taz didn't tell the office that I'm the one that chose the move. Taz was never dangerous with his suplexes. He was uh, relatively safe. I, I've never had a problem with him. I'm glad you cleared that up because that's certainly been the rumor and innuendo. And I know that Taz has taken great issue with it. So there it is folks straight from Kurt's mouth. Taz was not dangerous and, and, and Kurt called the spot. So there it is. Uh, it's true. <laughs> it's damn true. Uh, on the old 24, seven on demand channel, they used to have a, a legends of wrestling Roundtable show. Uh, and they talked a lot about, uh, that match in particular and the reputation of legitimate tough guys. And Mick Foley says that. Uh, you approached him backstage about whether or not Taz might actually try to shoot on you during the match to make a name for himself. Now, I don't know how much of that is true. How much of that is Mick just trying to be entertaining and how much of that was something you legitimately thought about because you did have a very brief interaction with him in ECW before, right? Yeah, I, I wasn't concerned about Taz shooting on me. I <laughs> I wasn't concerned about anybody shooting on me. I'm not <laughs> sure. I'm not sure what Mick was talking about. Um, I think he was trying to be entertaining and yeah. juice up the promo, the interview a little bit. Sure. Uh, but yeah, I, I you know the 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 thing is, you know, being an Olympic gold medalist and being a shooter. Um, I never was taken advantage of in the WWE. Uh, nobody tried to take advantage of me because of my inexperience. Cause probably they knew that if, if I ended up shooting, I was going to, I was going to dominate. So, yeah. um, it, it wasn't, it wasn't an issue at all. Eight days later, January 31st, you're returning to your hometown of Pittsburgh and you have a one-on-one -on -one match with the rock. You take your first official televised pinfall loss that night. The people's elbow beats you in five minutes and 32 seconds. You know, this is, this is rarefied air so quickly in your run. You're already working with the rock. He's at the top of the business at this point. What do you remember about that match? Well, I was excited. It was the rock. Uh, I couldn't believe it. I was actually wrestling him within what, three or four months of when I started. Uh, this, this was really special to me and, uh, I've always had great chemistry with the rock and, you know, to, to lose to the rock, I have no shame in that. He's sure. one of the most popular names in the business period. So, it, you know, having to get in the ring with him, uh, was a true honor and, uh, it, it elevated my confidence at that time, even though the match was only five minutes long. Uh, it was something that I needed, uh, to show that, uh, the company has made its promise to continue to elevate me. I love and, and for me, you know, these matches, when, when you go through a match with a main eventer, like rock, um, and you're an upcoming talent, your job is to do the honors for them. And uh, at the same time, when you're wrestling that person, that main eventer, it gives you a great rub because right. you're an upcoming talent that's affiliated with one of the top guys in the business. So both sides win. Let's talk about what happens a week later. 
we follow up the rock performance with you giving an Olympic slam to may young. Uh, that's real. <laughs> You're wrestling Mark Henry, who at the time is dating may young. And you wind up suplexing an 82 year old, I guess, quote unquote, pregnant woman. What do you remember about that? That creative has to make you scratch your head. I'm sure. I'll tell you a quick story. So before we headed out, we were in gorilla position and may young comes up to me and says, Mr. Angle, I want to tell you what I want you to do to me tonight. I said, okay, may she said, I want you to spike my ass as hard as you can into that mat. I want you to angle slam me as hard as you possibly can. I was like, okay, May, if that's what you want, I'll do it. And, you know, the crazy thing is when I was doing, I'm thinking if I slam this woman, she's going to end up coming up as dust. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh. She was 82 years old. Like, I'm like, what the hell am I doing slamming this woman? You know, she she could literally die. And, you know, May was just incredible because she would do whatever you asked. She would take whatever bump uh, was necessary. She always did whatever she was told, and she was always game for anything. A few days later on SmackDown, you're in Austin, Texas. You get your first shot at some gold. You're telling the fans in a pre-match promo that you thought May Young was Mark Henry, and that was an accident, but you've got a treat in store for him tonight. You're going to win the European Championship even though you folks in Texas don't really know where Europe is because of your broken education system, uh, such great shit, man. And then you beat Val to win the European title. Was this a big deal for you or just another day at the office to win the European championship? It was a stepping stone. It was one of the titles that I needed to win, working my way up through the ranks. And Val Venus was an incredible wrestler. Uh, I really loved working with him. Uh, but it, this was something that I needed. It was another title, another win, another feather in my cap, something that I could gloat about uh, because my character was all about winning championships. I wanted every championship in the book. Hey, man, you ever make a mistake? Maybe even worse. Ever see one of your parents, like your mom, make a mistake? They're going through a nightmare situation, and there's really nothing you can do to help them. Save with Conrad.com to the rescue. Let me explain. James in Tinley Park, Illinois, hooked us up with a five-star review and had this to say. The entire process was very easy. My mom and sister both used other mortgage companies, and it was a nightmare for them. And they had so much stress and multiple closing date changes that I was preparing for the worst. I heard about First Family through Grilling JR. I read a lot of reviews and felt this was the best for me. I couldn't be happier. David and Diane made the process very easy. I couldn't have asked for better support. Thank you all so much. I'm a homeowner and it feels great. That's right. James is a homeowner and you can be too. By the way, as a homeowner, your house is going to appreciate most every year, which means you have a real asset and you're not just throwing your money away on rent. Even better than that, at the end of the year, you're going to get a tax statement saying, here's all the interest you paid on your mortgage, and boom, you can write that off. You get something like that from your landlord, uh-uh. He just keeps your money, and you have nothing to show for it. Stop throwing your money away, and go to SaveWithConrad.com right now. And oh, by the way, you don't need perfect credit to do this. Even credit scores in the 500s can be approved. And by the way, even if you're not approved, we're going to get you a game plan to get you out of that apartment and into a new house. I also want to mention, you don't need a huge down payment. You may have heard the old wise tale that you've got to have 20% down. That's not it. You can do this with 5% down, 3% down. We even have loan programs with no money down. 
Find out how easy it is to become a homeowner right now at SaveWithConrad.com. NLS number 65084, equal housing lender. Hey, tell your landlord to kick rocks and go to SaveWithConrad.com right now. Well, and you got this one added to your collection. And as you're celebrating your newly won title, we see triple H and D generation X backstage watching and Hunter and X-Pac are sort of making fun, but we see Stephanie smiling, huge staring at you on TV. She's even blocked out everybody. They have to like, Hey, Hey, we're talking to you. She's infatuated with you on the TV. So we're planting some seeds here, right? Without a doubt, this was probably the time where they were really planting the seed to have the love triangle between Triple H, myself, and Stephanie. This was definitely the right time to do it. Uh, on Monday, February 14th, you announced that since you've won the title, tourism in Europe is through the roof. Meanwhile, the <laughs> stock market has crashed here in America and crime is higher than ever. So, of course, Chris Jericho wins the Intercontinental title. You challenge him for the title at No Way Out. And Jericho comes out and curse you Kirk angel. Uh, and then you start your feud with Jericho, but you also take a DDT from China and you end up facing her in a really short match on SmackDown that week. She wins by DQ when you hit her with the title belt. Uh, tell me about working with Jericho and, and his, his funny promos and then working with China in this era. Allegedly, there are a lot of guys who didn't like the idea of working with China. Where were you on that? I was okay working with China. She she was actually really good in the ring. And, you know, she she knew the basics. She was very basic, but very, very effective. Um, I enjoyed working with her. Didn't have a problem with her. The issue I had when I was wrestling her is, you know, Vince didn't want anybody to punch her. Mm. And, uh, you know, we were, we were wrestling, even though it was a quick match. We kind of messed up on a spot. And to fill the, the messed up, spot i started punching her in the face i punched her about four times to cover up the spot and then we continued on and when i got backstage vince is like what the hell are you doing punching a woman i said i didn't know uh you know like she she, i messed up on a spot and i had to cover it and he's like well don't ever do that again she's a woman and i said then why is she wrestling the guys i don't understand that right and you know he said well she's a woman you have to protect her and I did, you know, when I hit her with the title, I didn't want to mess up her face. So I, I blocked it with my hand instead of hitting her with the title and, uh, just tried to protect her the whole time. It's fascinating to me that, Hey, you can't hit her in the face, but yeah, you <laughs> blast her with the belt. That's fine. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You can angle slam her. You can suplex her, but you can't punch her in the face. <laughs> Let's talk about no way out 2000, February 27th. Meltzer said it was one of the better WBF pay-per-view shows in recent memory. Again, another sellout and they kick off in style. The opening match is Kurt angle and Chris Jericho. It gets three stars and uh, you pin Chris Jericho 10 minutes and 14 seconds in to win the intercontinental title. Uh, how's working with Jericho here in the opening match on the pay-per-view? I always enjoy working with Chris. He was very innovative. He had uh, great concepts and ideas. We came up with some great stuff for that match. And, you know, he was, uh, he's one of the best in the business. I, I have a lot of respect for Chris. We often hear a lot of times people say, especially old timers, nobody's guaranteed a spot at WrestleMania, but when you're the intercontinental champion and the European champion, you're pretty much guaranteed a spot at WrestleMania. <laughs> Uh, let's talk about that. We've got a, a huge crowd here. WrestleMania 2000, again, another sellout, 18,034 fans on hand. The seventh match of the night 
is a triple threat, two fall match. The first fall is for the intercontinental championship. The second fall is for the European title. Your two opponents that night are Chris Benoit and Chris Jericho. Uh, Meltzer gave it two and three quarter stars and said it was the best wrestling on the show, but the wrestling from all three of you guys was well below your standard. Do you think that's more about, you know, for lack of a better word, I think the phrase is clusterfuck triple threats are just a clusterfuck. Is that the way it is? They are, they're really difficult to do, but you know, you can pull it off. I've done some great triple threat matches, but I was really inexperienced at the time. And they, and these guys were trying to keep it very simple and basic for me. And, you know, and I think the problem, the reason the crowd uh, might've died off a little bit is that we did put the intercontinental title up first. That's the more prestigious title. Yeah. So when we were doing that, you know, and, and Chris, Benoit won the intercontinental title by pinning Chris Jericho. Um, the fans, you know, kind of lost interest in the European title because that was the lesser of the two. And that's when Jericho pinned Benoit for the European title. I think the fans lost interest in the match because the European title came after the intercontinental title. Very briefly, I want to touch on something that happened on the way to WrestleMania. You had a short lived manager in the form of Bob Backlund. You even started using the cross-faced chicken wing submission and you, uh, teamed with Backlund on March 14th before firing him after you learned that he booked you in this WrestleMania match. And then you put him in the chicken wing. This is a nice little nod to a legend from the past. Do you have any funny or interesting stories about working with Bob? Well, with Bob, yeah, there was one story where he was my manager and we're supposed to do a backstage pre-tape. And the pre-tape consisted of a wrestler. I don't remember who it was, but they were going to approach us backstage. And the wrestler was going to insult me. And then I was going to tell Bob to put the, 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 his cross-faced chicken wing on, on him and make him submit and make him pass out. So the director was telling us, this is pre-tape, but it's going live to the crowd. So it's actually a live feed. It's not going to be a pre-tape. If you mess up, keep going and finish to the end. Don't stop in the middle. You have to keep finishing because it's not pre-taped. It's going to go live to the audience. So we told Bob this like seven times. So <laughs> he knew that he was supposed to finish to the end. He was going to put him in the cross face and choke him out until he went uh, unconscious. And, uh, you know, during the pre-tape, when we started, the wrestler approached us and insulted me. And I said, Mr. Backley, would you do the honors? And Bob stands up, claps his hands together, rubs them, puts his hands in the air. And he looks at the director who's behind the camera. So he's actually looking at the camera and he says, should he turn around first? <laughs> and oh that's gosh. how we ended the pre-tape. I was like, oh my God. I look back at the camera like, holy shit. And that's how we ended it. And in the dirt sheets the next week, it said, who's the mystery guy behind the camera? They thought it was an ongoing story that Bob and I were trying to create. <laughs> and it was just Bob just stopped doing the, didn't do the submission hold, never put it on him. It was hilarious. 
Adfreeshows.com is wrestling nostalgia, podcasts on video, and live interactive experiences. It's also a great way to get to know the voices and characters of your childhood, but it's so much more. The Podfather, Conrad Thompson, has recorded over 25 Ask Conrad episodes where he answers your questions from wrestling to mortgages and everything in between. It's your opportunity to get inside the head of the most powerful man in wrestling, not named McMahon or Khan. Conrad often says we are more than listeners. We are community, even family. Take a listen to the recent interaction between the Podfather and one of our top guys, Antonio. And by the way, Antonio, thanks for all your great questions. I feel like you bring the noise with great questions every single week, and I really appreciate your support. That makes my job a lot easier. Because sometimes I'll do a bunch of research on a show and I'll have some folks help me do some research on a show. We'll have a blind spot, but guys like you and Rajiv and a wrestling historian. I mean, there's always a handful of you folks who always, I'm like, oh, I know if I see a question from him, it's going to be a good one. And you're one of those guys. Thank you for that. Oh, I appreciate it, man. I definitely do. Hey, hey, Conrad, day 22 sober for Antonio. That's awesome, man. Keep up the good work. Congratulations. That's a big deal. Become part of the family now. Make the decision to become a member of ad-free shows and enjoy Ask Conrad and so many other exclusive shows and events. So sign up today. Join the fastest-growing wrestling community over at adfreeshows.com. After WrestleMania on April 11th in Tampa, you're teaming with Big Show. It's a count-out loss against the tag champs at the time, Edge and Christian. But during the course of the match, Big Show gets upset with you and attacks you. And this is an interesting time for Big Show. He's impersonating different characters in wrestling or pop culture. And on this particular night, you were teaming with the Fat Bastard from Austin Powers, that movie franchise. How fun was it to uh, work with Big Show in this era where he was seemingly willing to try anything? That's the great thing about Big Show. He he's willing to do whatever he needs to do to be entertaining. He's a very funny guy, uh, very imposing. Looks incredibly strong and big. Um, you know, he's got every facet of the business, and he he's one of the most entertaining guys I've ever been around. He he's actually funny when he's when he's not even on camera. He's just a has a great personality. So this, this whole thing, this program he was doing where he was doing different characters was perfect for him. Well, and it set up a great pay-per-view at backlash 2000. Once again, another sellout April 30th, we've got nearly 18,000 fans in attendance. You're fifth on the card against big show. And he comes out impersonating Hulk Hogan. He even comes out to the real American theme song, the old Hogan WWF theme song, but he's got the mannerisms and the interview down pat. He uh, hits you with a leg drop. And when you kick out, he gets serious and choke slams the shit out of you for the pin. <laughs> Meltzer would say it was entertaining for what it was, but anyone on the roster could have been used in angle spot since the match was meant as a comedy squash, as opposed to someone whose star is on the rise. What do you remember about that night and your tongue in cheek match with uh, quote unquote Hulk Hogan? Well, <laughs> my match with Hulk Hogan, my first match ever with Hulk Hogan, it was big show. <laughs> um, he, um, the, the thing was, you know, wrestling big show, he was one of the top guys in the business. And I mentioned this before about Taz big show was one of the top guys. He was one of the main eventers. I was an upcoming talent, uh, trying to make his way up and, uh, they were doing a great job of it. 
And, you know, wrestling and Big Show in this match was very important for me because it gave me a great rub. Just like I said before, the main eventer gets the win. The undercard guy gets a good rub from the main eventer. So you both win. And this is one of those matches. It was an enhancement match for the main eventer, but it was also to help me elevate me so that people identified me in the main events. Let's, uh, let's talk about what's next here on the show, because this is where we start to get deep in story. You're defending Stephanie's honor on the May 8th raw Jericho has been calling her a brutal, disgusting, bottom feeding trash bag. hoe, and gradually you're starting to interact a little more and more. Uh, the next week on raw, Stephanie introduces you to take on Rikishi after he had tried to stink face her and you said it was a disgusting move and you're not sure how it even got started. Um, <laughs> And it may be suitable behavior from simple places like Samoa or Cleveland, Ohio, which of course <laughs> where the show is, which is great. Uh, the next big event though, happens judgment day, 2000. Once again, another sellout this time on May 21st and, uh, you're back opening the card and unfortunately things don't go your way, but it is a bit of a funny moment. Uh, you come out and do a five second pose with hats and banjos. You're wearing fake bad teeth. The crowd wants to boo you, but they're mostly laughing because of how entertaining it is. What do you remember about this segment? I remember the writers came up with it. I think it was in Louisville, Kentucky. That's right. Yep. Uh, So we were uh, playing Hicks, (laughs) you know, playing the banjo and the harmonica and with straw hats on and just acting like acting like crazy Kentucky Hicks. And, uh, the crazy, what's surprising is the fans actually cheered it. They thought it was entertaining. So, you know, it's, it goes to show you what people feel, feel about themselves in Kentucky. They, they have a, they have a great personality and, uh, they didn't mind it at all. I was surprised. It's, um, too cool. So it's grandmaster sex a and his bunch taking on, you know, you guys edge and Christian, but there's a very weird finish where it looks like edge clearly kicks out. And everyone seems unhappy, but the ref counts three. So technically Rikishi and too cool pick up the win over you guys in nine minutes and 46 seconds. Just a couple of weeks ago, we talked about your finish with the rock and maybe that wasn't the way it was supposed to happen. Was this a botched finish too? What do you remember about that? Well, honestly, I don't know. I don't know if it was a botched spot. I don't know if edge just kicked out because he didn't know it was the finish or didn't think it was, um, I, I don't see Edge botching on that. I, I think that something happened where um, the referee might have just counted uh, and the extra three, and that wasn't the finish. But I would imagine Edge does. Edge doesn't make mistakes like that, so I'd imagine I, I would put this one on the referee. Let's talk a little bit about where you are. I guess we're in a bit of a down period. You've lost two big pay per view matches. You lost both your titles at WrestleMania 2000. And it feels like, man, has the company lost confidence, but what's right around the corner, King of the ring, 2000, uh, you defeated Bradshaw on the June 1st episode to qualify on the June 19th episode of raw. You're going to get a win over Bubba Ray Dudley. And now here we are at King of the ring, 2000. And on this particular night, you'll have to win three matches in order to win. Of course, it's another sellout at the fleet center in Boston, an incredible gate, $865,000. But you have another match with Chris Jericho as your first match of the night, three and uh, a quarter stars. Uh, and then from there, you're going to dominate crash Holly and win with an angle slam and two and a quarter stars. And in the finals, it comes down to you and Rikishi. 
He gets most of the offense in for a lot of the match and is hitting all of his signature moves, even a stink face. But then you hit the angle slam and Rikishi kicks out, but then you use a top rope belly to belly suplex to get the win. And Meltzer called it a very disappointing finale. And he only gave it a star in three quarters. Do you think it was because you guys were just tired? You had wrestled so much. Did you not have the right chemistry with Rikishi or was it just one of those nights where stuff didn't click in your opinion? I'd imagine it was just one of those nights where stuff didn't click. I mean, I was still inexperienced. I was still learning the game, uh, having three different matches. I would imagine I probably forgot a lot of the match and Rikishi had to remind me in the ring, uh, because I was a, a lot less experienced than, you know, what I, you know, eventually would be. So, um, I, I just think that I, I got lost in the match and, and that, that that's probably what happened, uh, th- having three matches in one night. It's, it's not an easy task, especially when you're inexperienced and you, you don't, uh, you don't know how to improvise yet. So I didn't learn that yet. I had to memorize everything. Where, uh, where on your highlight reel is getting Rikishi's butthole rubbed in your face. Is that, (laughs) (laughs) well, I can tell you the stink face. It doesn't stink. (laughs) He's pretty pretty clean. So, (laughs) but, uh, yeah, I mean, you know what? It's part of pro wrestling. Sure. You know, the, the fans love it and you know, I get it. So I'm game. If, if Rikishi wants to stink face me, I'll take it anytime. Uh, unfortunately something bad happens on SmackDown that later that week, you're wrestling hardcore Holly. You go for a moonsault during the match. This is the one you usually miss. Holly wrote in his book. I told him you need to hit the moonsault because if you didn't, it might be too predictable. Well, you hit it, but something went wrong. Uh, Holly wrote that you put him far out way too far out of the corner and your legs wound up hitting his arm and you broke his arm, but he's one of the baddest dudes that ever lived. So he kicks out and finishes the match with a broken freaking arm. You ultimately win in seven minutes and 25 seconds with the Olympic slam. We've talked about that briefly, but man, that's gotta be, uh, I just knowing how much of a perfectionist you are, you had to be devastated knowing you actually hurt someone for real. Right. Oh yeah. I felt really badly. I, I wanted to make sure uh, when I hurt Bob, the problem was I didn't practice the moonsault. I think I might've hit it one other time before that. And I never practiced how far out I, I would go. So when I placed Bob in the middle of the ring, I went up really high and I didn't go out far. So I, I fell short and my, my shins hit his arm and he had a compound fracture. Both bones were completely broken and you know i was flipping out i was like oh my god what are we gonna do bob just stay down he said no let's finish the match and i'm like well i don't remember what's next so he's calling the match to me and while we're doing it i'm grabbing his arm to shoot him off the ropes and it's his broken arm he's like oh shit no you're hurting me so um you know when he was uh uh Every time I would grab his arm and shoot him off, he would scream really loud. And it was, it was really, you know, it was a hard match to finish. And, you know, it seemed like forever because, you know, he was injured and I didn't want to hurt him any more than he was, but Bob's a badass and he was going to finish the match regardless. And, you know, I, I wanted to make sure, you know, when, when I, when I hurt him, I wanted to make sure he was okay. And I, I took care of him. I, I checked up on him. You know, I, I took him to the hospital. Uh, I got, went and got, got him food. 
I called him for the next several weeks, making sure he was okay. I just wanted to, uh, you know, I felt really badly about what happened and I didn't, you know, I, I wanted him to know that I sincerely apologized. Just wanted to take a second to tell you about all the great Angle Pod merch over at boxagimmicks.com. It's the official store of the Kurt Angle Show and all of ad free shows. Boxagimmicks.com is where you can find Kurt Angle Show mugs, shirts, hoodies, and more. So if you're looking to show off your love of the Kurt Angle Show, head on over to boxagimmicks.com. You wrote in your book that you took a fair amount of ribbing after this guys were just pegging you 50 times a day for a month or two about how you're dangerous and you're unsafe. And this is probably almost a hazing of sorts just to see how you'll react to that. Right. Oh yeah. I was the boys trying to get a reaction out of me, which I didn't bite. I, I completely ignored it. So I would laugh and just, you know, laugh it off and not say anything back. By the way, Bob was uh, really complimentary of you in his book. He wrote that while he was getting an x-ray, you walked in and he was surprised to see you, but appreciated that you came and you even drove him back to the hotel. And once he settled into the hotel, you knock on his door, he answers, and there you are with a bunch of food and you're insisting that you drive him to the airport the next day. So, you know, as far as the, uh, um, acclimation of the boys, you passed with flying colors here. Does anybody have to tell you the proper way to handle this? Or do you just no, this is the right thing to do. I knew it was the right thing to do. I, I didn't have any second guesses about it. I, I just wanted to make sure he was okay. And, uh, mentally and physically, because that that's a tough blow when you're in the business and, and Bob was getting pushed pretty well at that particular time. So, uh, you know, to take money away from him because he would have to take off for a few months, uh, really affected me. And I, I wanted him to know that I was really, really sorry. On the July 3rd raw, you cost the undertaker and Kane their shot at the WWF tag team titles. You hit undertaker in the knee with your scepter. Michael Cole's asking you, what have you done? And you say, well, I didn't mean to offend him. And that leads to the next week. It's July 10th in San Jose. You're looking to make it up to the undertaker. So you ride out on a red, white, and blue <laughs> motor scooter wearing a helmet and you offer it to the undertaker as an olive branch, dude, this is hilarious. Great stuff. He chases you away. He throws the scooter off the stage. This has Brian Gowitz's fingerprints all over it. Is that right? Oh yeah. Brian Gowitz was definitely a part of it. He, he wrote the whole thing. Uh, the moped was hilarious. I mean, to offer the undertaker a moped was just ridiculous. It was the funniest thing. One of the funniest things I did that year. Uh, outstanding creative there fully loaded. 2000 is next goes down on July 23rd does 415,000 buys and has 16,504 fans. Of course, another sellout, just remarkable business everywhere you go. But when you make your entrance that night, when your pyro goes off, it scares you, which is a hilarious touch by the way, uh, because you know, you're taking on the undertaker. Meltzer didn't love the match though. He said undertaker destroyed angle early, refusing to pin him on two occasions. Angle came back and worked on undertaker's knee for a few minutes until undertaker made the comeback, hitting a choke slam and his high power bomb for the pin. They had one real good exchange of punches in mid ring. But other than that, there was nothing to say positive about this match and angle was really booked to not look competitive. It was exactly what I expected, but I was still dumbfounded when it was over. Undertaker got the pin in seven minutes and 34 seconds. He gave it three quarters of a star. Were you 
happy with the match? Did it tell the story you wanted? Did you feel like it was a squash? What do you make of Meltzer's review? It, it was definitely a squash match. Uh, you know, I think that the thing is the company would, would give me, you know, they, they would give me a, a prize and then they would make me do jobs for a few months and then they would give me another prize. And then they would, so I was being elevated and, and also winning titles, but at the same time I was doing jobs for some of the top tier talent. So, like I said before, it was a good rub to be in the ring with the undertaker to be affiliated with them, even though I was getting squashed. Um, I would have rather had a lot more offense, but at this particular time, this is, wasn't the plan for WWE. And uh, they, they didn't start having me get aggressive until after SummerSlam. Do you think Vince, it's been said over the years that Vince likes to test guys to see if they have a good attitude, where their head is at, things like that. Do you think that this was their way of sort of testing you a little bit? Yeah, I think so. Uh, you know, they, they don't do it much now. I mean, you know, when you're, when you're an upcoming talent, they protect the hell out of you right now. These right. days, the attitude era, it seemed like they, they would, you know, push you for a while, then pull you down then push you for a while, pull you down. So, you know, I was, I was getting used to it. And it, at certain times you get unsure of yourself because you're, you're not quite sure why they're having you do four jobs in, in a row, four different pay-per-views. And, uh, you know, the thing is I got rewarded in the end because I ended up winning the world title that year. Well, we're going to get there. Uh, but before we do, let's talk about how we marched to SummerSlam, the July 25th Raws from San Antonio, and you defeat the world champion, the rock here, but it's by DQ, but it is the main event. Is this, I mean, this has got to be even for a non wrestling fan like yourself, you're in the main event, taking on the world champion, the rock, who we know now is the biggest movie star in the world. And you get the win, even if it is by DQ, that's got to make you feel like Okay. Whatever they were doing with me, taking the belts off me and having me lose to the undertaker so quickly, they've got plans for me or I wouldn't be in this spot. Right. Oh yeah. Uh, definitely. When I, when I beat the rock, even though it was by DQ, uh, I started getting a lot more offense. Vince wanted me to get more aggressive. And, uh, you know, I, I knew that this match was a, a big stepping stone for me that it, they would continue on. Uh, without me getting squashed anymore. There, there were no more squash matches, squash matches after that. The next week raw is in the Georgia dome in front of 25,000 fans. Probably the most people you'd wrestled in front of at that point, you're teaming with Chris Benoit to take on the Dudleys. You both win. Of course. Um, there is one snafu that night. Lillian Garcia introduces you from Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, uh, but still 25,000 fans in WCW's backyard you know, sort of their home away from home for super shows, the Georgia dome, and you've got 25,000 fans. Did you ever get nervous about the size of a crowd or anything like that? Or was that not something you were even aware of? I, I tried not to be aware of it. I, I tried to block that out and just focus on the match, especially being as inexperienced as I was, you know, I didn't have get a lot of training before I debuted. So my training was on the go and I was learning something every day. And, you know, I, I didn't need to worry about the crowd. I had enough to worry about myself. A number one contenders match is set up on raw the following week for Madison square garden in that match. It's you and triple H and you both score a pinfall at the same time over Chris Jericho. And that creates an argument between the two of you about who should be the number one contender. 
And we're also getting into that love triangle storyline between yourself, Stephanie and triple H on the August 3rd SmackDown. The main event is you and, uh, Stephanie, and they're going to be taking on, and of course, triple H is there too. And you're going to be taking on Lita and the Dudleys. So let me recap that. We've got Lita on one side, Stephanie on the other, the Dudleys on one side, you and triple H on the other, your team wins. But the point is you and Stephanie are celebrating with a huge hug and she wraps those legs around your waist. And this infuriates triple H and man, we've really got the volume turned up at this point. What do you remember about that match? I remember, you know, before the match, we were planning on what to do. And, and I, I didn't know how we were going to celebrate. If we wanted to piss off triple H, we had to do something that would be offensive toward him. Yes. So I told her, why don't we hug each other, fall down, roll around on the mat, you know, just roll uh, together while we're holding each other. And she's like, no, pick me up and let me wrap my legs around you and celebrate. And I was like, oh, shit, <laughs> you know, <laughs> this is Triple H's fiance, wife, whatever she was at that particular time. But, um, it, you know, I I it, it was uh, it was a bit um, it, it was confusing for me because I, I didn't want to get involved with somebody that, you know, obviously had a real boyfriend or husband in the business. And uh, to do this angle was really new to me and different. You know, that's something I never really thought about, but I guess you really are in sort of an unwinnable position. I mean, at this point, triple H as an established top guy, you're trying to still get there, but you're doing great, but you're still very early in your career. And he's fully ingrained in WWE and WWE politics as it were. And he's dating the boss's daughter. And even if it's on storyline, you're probably in a pretty precarious spot there, huh? <laughs> Oh yeah, without a doubt. I didn't want to piss anyone off. So it was it was a really difficult spot to be in. Well, we're going to talk about that next week, uh, but for now, we should talk about the great spot we're all in. Thanks to Chicken Snacks. Uh you've seen all the social media posts. People are talking about this left and right. I picked mine up over at physicallyfit.com and uh, my entire office is munching on these things now. Uh go to physicallyfit.com and you can see where you can pick it up. Go to where to buy. You can type in your location, it'll show you a map and where the nearest stores are to you. Here in Huntsville, man, I've got like three different choices within driving distance. There's one that's just 2 miles from my house. But listen, during a pandemic, if you don't want to get out and about, click the order now online button and that's where you'll see all the different flavors you can get them shipped to your house. They're just 9.99. And they're fantastic. Tons of different flavors. Kung Pao is Kurt's favorite. I'm probably partial to the Sriracha. Uh, friend of the show, Cassio Kid, like sweet barbecue. I was told that some folks in our call center at the office, they love cinnamon swirl. And my man, Steve Patty. <laughs> my wife does. Yeah, I think Buffalo, Buffalo, uh, Buffalo wing and blue cheese are the ones that went the fastest at the office. If you're a dude and you like Buffalo wings, this is a healthier way to get the same great taste, right? Yes, and we have a code angle pod for twenty percent off. What? In orders. Yes. Oh, how about Just that? Just type in angle pod for your code to get to twenty percent off. Well, I overpaid. I need to go load up and get my twenty percent <laughs> off. Use angle pod. That's A N G L E P O D, and you'll get twenty percent off. Go to physicallyfit.com right now and uh, click where to buy. I'm telling you, you're not going to regret it. This is going to be a reorder item for you, as Jim Ross likes to say. Uh, but we're big believers in it here in Huntsville. And I know you will be too. You got to check it out. It's physicallyfit.com. And Kurt, while we're talking about other stuff you got going on, we should mention Kurt angle, 
dude, you're selling and signing all kinds of stuff. And it's very, very affordable. Tell them what you got over there at KurtAnglebrand.com. We have autographed photos, autographed birthday cards for anyone special you want a birthday card for. Uh, we got cowboy hats, milk cartons. Uh, we got the whole ball of wax. So you check it out at KurtAnglebrand.com. By the way, you can also do a cameo. I didn't know that was a thing, but all the info is over at KurtAnglebrand.com. So if you've got somebody in your life, you want to give a unique gift to, you can get them a Kurt Angle birthday card, and you can even get a special video message from Kurt. That's all at KurtAnglebrand.com. But we should mention the autographs. I see a lot of guys selling autograph photos and stuff online. Not really exactly affordable. Yours are 31 bucks, dude. So you get the photo <laughs> and you get the autograph. This is a home run, dude. Yes, I made it affordable for everybody so they could buy whatever they wanted. So check it out, KurtAnglebrand.com, and don't forget to load up on some uh, chicken snacks. And by the way, we should mention, I don't think we mentioned this today, if you're not someone who is who is wanting to eat meat and you want a plant-based protein, you have a solution for that too, right, Kurt? Yeah, smart snack. It's the same thing as chicken snacks, but organic plant proteins. So same flavors, same everything, just a different kind of protein. And there you go. You can get brown sugar, cinnamon with pretzels, honey mustard with pretzel pieces, sour cream and onion with bagel pieces and rice sticks. And of course, everyone at my office's favorite, the spicy Buffalo and blue cheese. It's all at physicallyfit.com, And you get 20% off right now. If you use that special promo code angle pod. Uh, and I want to mention, we've got part two of your rookie year coming up next week, and we're really getting going now. We're not quite to SummerSlam. That's when things start to really pick up. You're going to become the world champion and things are going to get heated with you and Stephanie in part two. Are they not? Oh, without a doubt. Yes, it will. <laughs> another said another way. Oh, it's true. It's damn it's true. Damn true. We'll yeah. see you next week right here on the Kurt angle show. Hey man, remember those candies as a kid? Uh, now and laters. Remember those? I used to love those. Well, save with Conrad.com has a now and later story for you right now. Just ask Robert in Wexford, PA. He says, actually reached out over a year ago looking into refinancing. Jimmy was great then, but we had the cloud of a reassessment hanging over our head. So we wanted to wait until that was done. Once the reassessment was complete, I shot Jimmy a text message and we picked things back up and we didn't miss a beat. He was able to shave almost four years off of our loan which is awesome because we just bought this house in 2019 and overall we'll save more than $80,000 off the life of our loan. He's the man. Nope. I disagree, Robert. You're the man for remembering us here at SaveWithConrad.com. I want to remind you that first family mortgage really is here to save you money now and later. We want to be your mortgage advisor for life. You're more than just a loan number to us. And if for some reason we can't help you today, we're going to get a game plan together of how we can save you money in the future. At First Family, our goal is to help families save money now and later. And we do that by getting the cheapest possible monthly payment and cutting years off of their loan. So how's this? Robert got to skip his next two house payments. He's saving money now. And he's going to cut years off of his loan. He's saving money later. And we're ready to help you right now at SaveWithConrad.com. NLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lender. That's SaveWithConrad.com. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, 
It's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? I think I can get an extra five to ten. What if I give you fifteen to twenty? You pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys. The podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B L E A V on YouTube or wherever you listen.